Hello and welcome to the FIEC podcast where you'll hear teaching and resources for church leaders to help independent churches work together to reach Britain for Christ. Much of the ministry in our churches is not just a work for full-time paid gospel workers but for volunteers. They staff our ministry teams and are responsible for much of our gospel work. As church begins to open more as lockdown is eased there will be the challenge of drawing those teams back together and drawing new people in so it's important for us to think about how we care for and support our volunteers. In this Leadership in Lockdown webinar, FIC Church Leadership Consultant Ray Evans helps us think through how to lead volunteers well in this time of coronavirus restrictions and beyond. Um, as ever, we're going to start with God's Word, but I'm going to turn us this morning to Psalm 123. So if you'd like to come with me to Psalm um, 123, We've been looking um, in the webinars at the um, Psalms of Ascent. You'll remember that the Psalms of, of Ascent describe the pilgrimage of God's people from their situation in exile into the uh, presence uh, of God um, uh, in his uh, holy uh, city. We've seen that we need to translate that Old Testament um, perspective, which is very physical and material, um, into the uh, New Testament context. These Psalms speak to our situation as Christians. Um, uh, in a hostile world headed ultimately for the true heavenly uh, Zion. We saw in uh, Psalm 120 the pain that God's people experience in exile. Psalm 121, we were encouraged that God will provide help to his people that will enable them to make this journey. And last week in Psalm 122, we saw that we need to remember the joy of arrival and look forward to the goal of uh, uh, arriving with all of God's people um, in his uh, city. Psalm 123, the next psalm in the sequence, I think um, uh, speaks to us and reminds us how we're to live as God's people um, as we are uh, in exile. So it's much more about focusing on how we live um, uh, in these times, in the um, situation of exile we find ourselves in. So let me read Psalm 123. Uh, I lift up my eyes to you, to you who sit enthroned in heaven, as the eyes of slaves look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a female slave look to the hand of their mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till he shows us his mercy. Have mercy on us, Lord, have mercy on us, for we have endured no end of contempt. We've endured no end of ridicule from the arrogant, of contempt from the proud. Well, I think the uh, key point of Psalm 123, uh, what God is saying to his people through this uh, psalm is that they must keep crying out to him for mercy uh, while they are in exile. That's how you live uh, in exile. Um, in essence, the message of the psalm is that we must look to God because the hostile world looks down on us. It's inevitable that the experience of exile um, uh, is that the world around us treats us with uh, contempt. And here God's people um, recognise that they have endured no end of contempt because of their faith and because of their trust. Uh, in the Lord Jesus. That has been consistently the experience of God's people uh, in this world, certainly the experience of the Israelites, it's the experience of the uh, New Testament church, it's the experience of Christians today, and increasingly so as we live in a post-Christian secular society. Steve McAlpine, the um, Australian uh, kind of writer, has just published a book explaining why we as Christians in the contemporary culture are seen as the bad guys, and for many of us, both as leaders and even perhaps more so members of our churches, experience this sense of the contempt of the world as it looks down on us. That is what it's like to be in uh, exile. And I would imagine that you feel that. 
How do we respond to that? Well, the world looks down on us, but we therefore are called to look up to God. That's the main message of this psalm, to lift our eyes to God and look to him. Um, and looking to him is in many ways a metaphor for praying to him, crying out to him uh, for mercy. Four things that this psalm reminds us of as we do that. It reminds us of who God is who it is we're looking to, we're looking to the king who is enthroned in the heavens, the one who is sovereignly ruling and reigning. The world might have contempt, but it's our God who is the one who is sovereign. That means that we can cry to him with confidence. He is able to answer um, our cries. The psalm reminds us who we are, that we are his dependent servants. We're described in verse two as being like uh, slaves and female slaves. The key point here is it's, it's to our master that we are to look. Um, the answer to the problem of contempt and the problem of exile is not to sort it out ourselves, but to cry out to the one who is um, our master. The psalm reminds us what we need. What we need is the thing that we're to cry out for. We, we are to cry out for uh, mercy. Verse three, have mercy on us, Lord, have uh, mercy uh, on us. And I think it's worth recognising that not every time that the word mercy is, uh, appears in the Bible is necessarily asking for forgiveness for specific sin. The word mercy here is much more the cry out to God to show his loving kindness, his covenant faithfulness to um, his uh, people. And then lastly, I think the psalm reminds us that this is what we must keep doing. Um, uh, as we find ourselves in exile, one of the themes of the psalm is that this is something that we are to keep um, uh, doing. We're to keep looking to God. We're to keep calling uh, on him to have mercy, to show his covenant loving kindness to us. See at the end of uh, verse um, uh, two, um, our eyes are to the look to the Lord our God till he shows us his uh, mercy. Um, I, I think this in many ways echoes, for example, Jesus' parable of the persistent widow, the one who keeps crying that justice should be done. Um, here we're to keep crying for um, mercy as we find ourselves uh, in uh, exile. And I think um, this is not about crying out to God for mercy in a particular moment of difficulty, a particular moment of contempt, a particular challenge like coronavirus. Instead, the expectation is that this is how we will have to keep living until we arrive at our goal of uh, glory. We will um, have to keep on crying out to God for mercy, for his loving kindness, as we continue to find ourselves those who are in exile. So I hope this psalm is an encouragement to us. The reality of being God's people is we live in a world that looks down on us. As we live in that world, we need to be those who are looking um, to God, keeping crying out to him for the mercy that we need. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this psalm. Thank you for how realistic and helpful it is. Thank you that it reminds us of the experience of your people in exile who are treated with contempt. And we recognise that as our experience as your people um, we ask and pray that we might not despair, but instead we would look to you, the one who is um, enthroned, the one who has entered into covenant um, commitment to it, that we would look to you and cry to you for the mercy that we need. And thank you for the confidence we can have that you will supply us with that mercy. You will show us your loving kindness um, uh, uh, until that time that you bring us into your very presence. Please might we be encouraged. Please help us not to be those who seek to depend on ourselves, but instead look to you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Ray, over to you. Uh, thank you, John. And uh, uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, good to be with you. Uh, what I want to look at uh, this morning is this whole issue of volunteers. And uh, we'll start sharing. Uh, and I this is a helpful 
this has helped me a lot. It, it, three traits that you should see in any church going forward, a prevailing church, came across this a few years ago, I found it useful. Whether you are a church of 10 people or a thousand, whether you are a thousand years old or a one year church plant, these three traits are often indica indicative of a church going forward. And they are Bible teaching, great Bible teaching, central to any prevailing church. Then leadership, good leadership. And then the third, volunteers, uh, people uh, serving the Lord Jesus within the church and without. Those three areas, uh, TLV, teaching, leadership, volunteers. And it's the volunteers we're particularly looking at uh, this morning. Uh, and I've asked friends here in the church I belong to and so asked some insights. And uh, some of the things I'll be sharing this morning are, are insights from people who serve in our church working alongside others and, and one person put this about volunteers they bring great energy because they want to be there uh, they often have time and skills which can only be tapped into from a from a volunteer because they bring uh, external skills and expertise they will often go above and beyond as it's not a job it's a calling uh, they bring a much wider pool of gifts ideas and creativity than staff could and volunteers create ownership of church activities by the church. This final comment, volunteers are brilliant. So that's the positivity of volunteers. How do we uh, keep that positivity going? Well, I want to uh, go through something I, I found from uh, Walter Wright in his book, uh, Relational Leadership, um, quite a few years ago now. I wish I'd found it when I was a young leader. Uh, I was a late middle-aged leader by the time I found this. But he, he used a thing called the care plan. And if we could uh, have the first slide, next slide, please. He has uh, this idea of what he calls the care plan. How do we keep volunteers working well outside of COVID and especially within our COVID experience? Now, you'll know one, one person who wrote to me quit. Uh, we've got to beware of helicopter ministry. So what do you mean by that? He said, the danger that people get sucked up into rotors. and <laughs> Uh, I know it's a crummy joke, but actually that is one of the great dangers of church life, isn't it? Is that we're not really helping our volunteers. We're just putting their names down and they do an awful lot of heavy lifting, perhaps not much recognition, not much thanks. And they're fairly demotivated, but they do it because they're dutiful. Well, we want to do better than that. And uh, I found this uh, really important. Clarify the mission. Uh, Simon Sinek, if we can have the next slide. Uh, his uh, leadership book, Start With Why, How Great Leaders Inspire Everyone to Take Action. The thing about a team is that it's got to come together. One person said that, that we've got to get the team together meeting quite regularly, because without that, the team loses its sense of why. It loses its sense of purpose. Now, in Sinek's book, he goes on to say the ability to inspire those around you and to achieve remarkable things starts with the why. Uh, any organization can explain what it does. Some, some of them can explain how they do it, but very few articulate clearly the why. And those who start with why are much less prone to manipulate. Uh, they, they much rather inspire. You'll know the most famous verse in the Bible, for God so loved the world. He gave his one and only son, whoever believes in him. It starts with the why, God so loved. Then the what, he gave, and then the how, believe. 
Uh, and if we don't start with the why, and if a team never gets a part to talk about why they do what they do, then you'll find that in time, they'll end up talking just about what they do. And sooner or later, most team members will like, how can I get out of doing what I've got to do? That's how teams do, they plateau and then they decline. But the why, clarifying the mission, how do we do that? Well, one of the uh, friends of mine wrote and said, we've just got to get the team telling stories anyway, but especially during COVID, tell of the little stories of the people's lives that have been touched. Your team may not be able to be functioning as a team in terms of delivering its ministry, but you as an individual Christian are still serving. You can tell stories of how people's lives are being touched, especially if it's anything to do with the little team you're in. Now, your team may be your whole church, 10 members. It may be a team of, 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 of 10 or less in a, a huge church. Most churches that function well are all functioning around small groups of one form or other. Remember in Exodus uh, eight, uh, 18, uh, Josh, uh, Moses's advice from Jethro, the bottom, the baseline was a group of 10. If you, if you order, order several million people, you start with a group of 10. With the people you're still with, why don't you tell the stories of lives being touched um, and, and show appreciation? Uh, one writer put, uh, he said this, share stories of things volunteers have been doing and shower with thanksgiving. It's always notable, isn't it? Uh, we thank God, but Paul tells the people that he thanks God for in his letters. I thank God for you. Well, what? He could have just thanked God but he realized how important it was that they knew that he appreciated and gave thanks to God. A team, when it clarifies the mission, why are we doing what we're doing? Let's talk about some of the stories of the lives who God is touching, whose God's love is touching, and let's give thanks to God. Let's give thanks to one another. Uh, one of the other people wrote this, although they are unpaid, Volunteers feel more valued if the group they're participating in is organized, of a high standard, and here it is, they understand clearly the purpose of the work. Since we could not run without them, verbally expressing our thanks and honoring what they bring is really important, as is treating them individually and playing to their strengths. Now, I'm gonna to suggest to you that during COVID, we just have to work harder at that appreciation. One person says, I, I um, phone up everybody, um, we, we pray together, uh, we think about what we'd love to do when we can get back acting. We, we've not just said team isn't functioning, end of story. We're still functioning, and we're often we're functioning to pray, praying for each other, touching base with each other as a team, clarifying the mission. Uh, next slide, please. I think this is helpful. People aren't a team because they work together. They're not a rotor. They're a team because they have a common purpose that is understood by everyone and that they all appreciate and value the different part each person plays in achieving it. That's that idea that we need to talk about this. We, we tell the stories. Um, we often joke here, we're part of a team that puts people in heaven. Uh, you know, we're not just the coffee brewers. We're not just running creche we're part of a team of putting people in heaven what a we need that bigger vision that clear purpose of what we do 
that sense of appreciation that comes. So whenever you have a team meeting, don't start the agenda with what we've got to do next. Start the agenda with why are we doing what we're doing and tell the stories. It's not so much a lecture on purpose as a sharing together of God's heartbeat and our heartbeat for people and how people are being touched. It motivates team. Without that motivation, it's a bit like the team will eventually run out of fuel. It's that connectivity to Christ and his great passion for the mission of God that gives us passion for our mission. So that's clarifying the mission. The next thing that's really important is that we need to agree on the specific goals. We'll agree on the goals. Now, it's so easy at this point for a leader to sort of forget what team is all about. One of my friends wrote this. Uh, we've got to remember this whole heart, heart attitude thing that team volunteers are, are there of their own free choice. They're not staff. They're not signed up to any formal hierarchy. And if their voices aren't heard, well, their feet will do their talking if their voices can't, he put it that way. He said, it's very different team dynamics from in a job situation. It's about hearing all the voices, the expectations that we're in it together. It's about allowing the team to shape the work, about facilitating, not dictating. That delicate, skillful leading into ideas and ways forward that feels like they thought of it. It's a partnership, not follow the leader. And when we come to agree goals, that the real, the, the role of the team lead at this point is not to delegate, is to say to the team, come on team, what, what do we want to achieve and how are we going to do it? The real role of the leader at this point is to get everybody's voices heard. Now, if we're a slightly insecure leader or we're a very type A driven, at this point, we think, what a waste of time. I can do it quicker myself and I could do it better myself and I just need them to do some of the sort of, well, you know, jobs that are beneath me. Now, we would never say that, but we could easily be like that. Um, one of, again, my friends during lockdown, he puts this, I would observe that we, particularly church staff, have become more functional, skill-based and isolated during lockdown. It is usually much easier to do a task yourself than to find and entrust it to somebody else. So most teams and groups have changed for the worst during the pandemic. That is, they've become, we'll do it for you. And he goes on to say that coming out of lockdown, uh, our team leaders and our staff will have to work much harder and in a sense be more patient with getting all the voices heard. We will know what needs doing. It will be so easy to get into delegate mode. But he says, in the long run, we'll be stronger and develop and grow a more, uh, a, a more as a community of Christ followers if we get every voices heard. And what I found over the years, even when somebody suggests something absolutely crazy, I've tried to bite my tongue and not crush it. I've just said, let the team do it. Trust the team to sift out the crazy ideas. Trust the team to uh, say, no, that's nonsense, it'll never work. It's much easier if it comes from a peer than it comes from you. If you keep on sitting on things that 
you think, oh, no. After a while, they go, well, why am I here? You know, you're always, you're always no. The, I can read your body language, Ray. You don't, need to, you don't need to say a word. Well, much better to just trust God to use the team to sift the good and the bad and the ugly. And the team themselves will find a great degree of satisfaction of coming up with goals. And now remember what goals are. They're specific, they're measurable, they're achievable, they're recordable, and they're timed, as it were, the smart things. They're not just vague aspirations. They're who's going to do what by when? And we found it very exciting in a, in a team where someone says, leave that bit with me. I can do that and I'll have it done by next Tuesday. So that when we meet again, I'll, 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 I'll report back that it's done. Those kind of things give volunteers a lot of sense of appreciation and ownership. Uh, next slide, please. One of the little hints is this. Uh, you, uh, it, it is important, I think, that we, we, often, we often work in the realm of ideas as Christian leaders. Lovely ideas, powerful ideas, important ideas that can change the world. But Scott Belsky says this, it's not about ideas, it's about, uh, about making ideas happen. You will have sat through endless meetings discussing stuff. And at the end of it, you go, what difference does it make? We're not very good, perhaps some of us, because we've not worked in that world, we're ideas people, we love reading, that we how to actually make ideas happen. Well, one of the great skills is to say, volunteers make ideas happen. They translate ideas into things that are gonna actually happen. One little hint and tip is this, at the end of a period where you've discussed goals, maybe at the end of your meeting, is to say, rather than, you as the leader say, okay, I'll write all this up and I'll send you a note. Much better to go around the room and say, okay, what have each of us agreed on to do by next time? And if all the volunteers then say, well, I'm going to do this. And somebody else says, I'm going to do that. There's a greater degree of hope that ideas will happen. People get ownership when they go public as a team. Now, all that is so much harder in COVID. Teams have been, some teams have been in sort of suspended animation. They're, they're like, you know, the bears that go to sleep for six months or, you know, they're, they're just like, we're not functioning, but you can still function. You can still say, who is going to touch? One, one of uh, my writers said this, we've, we work with a children's ministry. We discuss together which of us is going to phone up the people we serve and just ask how they're doing. Rather than the leader do it all, we've, we discussed it as a team and we, we owned, I'll phone that couple and I'll phone that child or I'll do that. It, it's about getting buy-in as it were. That I know it's a buzzword, but you know what I mean by that? It makes ideas happen. Uh, next thing, please. The next part of the care plan is review progress. Uh, one of my writers put this, I've looked to involve teams in all sorts of ways. We've reviewed what we could do during COVID. We can't function publicly, but what we've done is we've done lots of things behind it. And as we reviewed what we could do, we came up with things like in a children's ministry, uh, sending a photo with posters saying, we miss you, uh, sending out postcards. Uh, some of us have uh, read good night stories to children. We've done all kinds of things. We've looked at what we could do. We reviewed what we could do and came up with other ways of running our ministry. And she found that the, the teams who've stayed serving 
even in small ways, have maintained momentum and motivation. And they did that as they looked at what they were doing. How could they do what they were doing? Uh, one other wrote this, regular and meaningful team meetings, not just to do training top down, although that's part of it, but learning together, genuinely open to feedback. And he uses phrase, we do a too good, too wonky. You may know match of the day, too, too good, too bad. He says, too good, too wonky. What are two things we're doing well? And what are two things we could do better because they're not quite working? That's the, the stuff of review. Review is not blame shift. Review is about how can we do what we do better? And all teams function if they can review. Now, we'll certainly need to build this in at the end as we come out of COVID. Um, we'll need to be thoughtful about this. Uh, we might feel we're the experts on COVID regulations and our members haven't got a clue, so we better tell them. But we probably need to say, what are we learning together? And as we go forward, what are our concerns? One of uh, my uh, respondents wrote this. She said, um, regarding volunteers afterwards, it will depend a bit on the task required, but it also will depend on volunteers. Some of them are vulnerable or live with vulnerable people. So she said, we'll have to assess it carefully. They may not want to be as active after COVID as they were before, because they might be coming out of COVID more slowly than others review progress. And then the, third, the final thing is E, is equip the team. It's all about training. Training says we're committed to you and want you to be committed to your area of ministry. Uh, training means no one person is carrying a ministry and people are being nurtured and developed. Uh, another of my respondents wrote this training it's important volunteers gain something from their gifts of time and skill actually in some ways training sessions have been easier to fit in during this year in her situation she's done first aid and safeguarding training we've done some stuff about mental health and in their particular ministry done done some more training about domestic uh, abuse As she said good discussions around what is expected of volunteers and what is definitely not their responsibility. Some volunteers feel very guilty if they can't solve all the problems. Training them to say, that's not mine, I don't need to worry. Listening to ideas, concerns and addressing them. I really want our volunteers to gain something by being part of this ministry. That's what equip does. Now, some equipping has been, we equip one another by praying together regularly during COVID. We can't actually carry out our ministry, but we can equip one another by praying but some teams say as we come out of covid we'll need to do refreshes um equipping is also not just technical as it were with skills it's also emotional intelligence we equip our teams by showing appreciation uh, one writer said i found as a volunteer over the years uh, my team leaders sent me personal cards and small gifts and they've meant a lot. So I've done that with my teams. Just getting a, a tube of chocolate at Christmas or an Easter shows you appreciate them. Um, having a barbecue with a team, um, having some kind of social time, it's always appreciated and keeps team spirits up. So equipping a team is not merely functionalistic. 
Now, as we come out of low uh, COVID lockdown, I think there are perhaps, I want to just highlight two what I see as dangers. We sometimes use this phrase, TTT. Can we have the next one, please? TTT. And uh, it starts stands for all kinds of things. The one thing it stands for is time, talent and treasure. Now, the danger as we come out of, low, of COVID is say, OK, people have now got more time. They now have got opportunity to use their talents that they've been unable to use. And they certainly have got more treasure in their bank, most of them, unless they've been unemployed. Actually, COVID has done their bank balance wonderful. And the job is basically to have a hit job on all three, if not all three, at least one of those. I want to get more of my volunteers to give more of their time and more of their talent and more of their treasure. I just read recently, uh, Mark Maynell wrote a little blog on what he calls the mores of the Christian life. Can we have the next one, please? And he very cleverly went from values to the five mores. Too often, he says, uh, our application of Christian truth is reductionalistically built around these five mores. We basically say, read the Bible more, pray more, attend church more, give more, tell others more. Now, clearly, those things are really important applications, don't get me wrong. But the danger will be when we come out of COVID is basically to say our job is to get them to give more. And if not in those areas, it will certainly it will be, you know, give more now. Now you can. And we can find ourselves, if we're not careful, doing what Mark Green has warned uh, church leaders and church staff about in normal time, let alone COVID. This is what he says in his book. All too often the task becomes to recruit the people of God to use some of their leisure time to join the missionary initiatives of church paid workers. And he says that's too shriveled a view of the Christian life. If we are helping lead volunteers, we mustn't give them the impression that what they do the rest of their time is just filler and that what they do for us, which we mean for the Lord, is really the important thing, the kingdom thing. He uses this little uh, discipleship uh, um, graph. Can I show it, please? Next slide. Remember, remember this. We want 24-7 disciples. Now, we're going to let them have 168 hours sleep a week, which gives them 120 hours to live for the Lord. He said, if we have a too shriveled of you, we will basically say, look, you know, we expect them to give about 10 hours to church activities, you know, attend morning and evening, if you have an evening, and volunteer and go on committees and the rest of it. He said, but, you know, what about the other 110 hours? Isn't that the 110 hours? They're still servants of Jesus. We, we, we've got to be very careful coming out of COVID that we don't give the impression the kingdom can now begin to grow again. The kingdom is growing now. Christians are serving Jesus on their front line. Some are serving in hospitals. Some are serving, creating wealth, employing people. Some are teaching their kids at home. Some are still doing those, bringing order out of chaos, doing the dishes, cleaning the floors. Some people are giving time to lonely people by phoning them up. They are serving Christ. We mustn't come to a sort of, now you can get back to the truly Christian thing. I think that's a danger coming out of COVID that we can end up asking for more and it have a shriveled understanding what we basically want to say is we serve Jesus with all and 
coming out of discipleship, we can now begin to do things that we weren't able to do, but we don't want to give the impression that we're tut-tutting the fact that they've been basically lazy and they've had a, you know, a year of, if you like, snow days, as it were, as if we are school and COVID is like snow. We don't want to give that impression, do we? we we've been living for Jesus during COVID. We're going to be living for Jesus after COVID. And we don't want to feel that we're telling them off or we're you know, expecting them all of a sudden. In fact, one of my writers said, we've got to be very careful of this. Um, we've always got to give him, we've always got to give him um, permission in a volunteer team to move on. Uh, volunteers give us a period of time, but usually it's part of a journey they're making and they may want to move on to something else. It may be into further education or for some employment change. It, we, we, we've got to say, look, it's totally fine to move on. Now, that's harder in church. I think church life, volunteering can often feel less positive because you feel, am I signing up for life? Is this a sentence? We've got to keep saying to our volunteers, look, it's OK to move on and do something else for the Lord Jesus. Your, your life is changing all the time. And it's OK if before COVID you said, you know what, we were ultra busy. We don't want to go back to that. We will need to think very carefully that we don't get people back to an ultra busy life. But say, look, serve somewhere, but don't don't go mad. We want to give that message. That's one danger. Leaders can see it as it were to time to break into the bank of the volunteer time, talent and treasure. We mustn't do that. And the second thing can i bring us back to the tlv thing yeah that slide please notice that volunteers are connected to the teaching by the leaders that teaching is embodied by the leaders who motivate and work with volunteers if leaders don't support volunteers it's no good just exhorting top volunteers from the front leaders exemplify leaders embody uh, I came across this quote from John Maxwell. People buy into the leader, but they for they buy into the vision. Interestingly, actually, even before the why comes the who. And if you remember that most famous verse in the Bible, it doesn't start with love. It starts with God. For God so loved the world. And when we come to help our teams, actually, who you are as a leader is actually more important than the task, the vision that you want the people to serve in, because they are going to serve the Lord Jesus. You've got to point them to him and you've got to show something of him to them. Otherwise, they'll go, well, I'm serving the Lord Jesus, but, but you, aren't, you aren't like the Lord Jesus. And there'll be a conflict. You'll know there's quite a lot of concern at the moment about this overly authoritarian, aggressive assertiveness. And that's not Christ-like. I um, come across this book. I mentioned Simon Sinek at the beginning, and we'll close a little bit with this. Simon Sinek's book. Uh, can we put that last line? Eaters, leaders Eat Last. And this is a secular book written for a secular audience, but fascinatingly, Simon Sinek's picked this up. Servant leaders make all the difference. They are the reason why some teams pull together and others don't. Leaders eat last. Now, 
You won't agree with everything in that book. I certainly didn't. But he's, he's basically stressing that thought. I am here to support these people, not to boss them. I am here to show them that the task we are involved in is a wonderful task and it's great to work together on it. I heard the uh, probably just 90 year old Dick Lucas uh, just a couple of years ago, he's 95 now, a few years ago, he did a, an exposition of 2 Timothy and he said this, you know that bit in 2 Timothy 2 where it says flee the evil desires of youth. Now in your 20s you go, okay, I'll avoid sex and all the entrapments of that. In your early 30s, you go, oh, money. Yes, I want to make lots. Flee the evil desires of youth. That's what you think. And he says, yes, of course, they're there. We've got to be people of integrity with sex and money. But interestingly, Dick put his finger on this. The, the biggest danger in Timothy is the dangers of youthful abuse of power. Flee the evil desires of youth. And he goes on to talk about don't have anything to do with foolish arguments. The Lord's servant must not quarrel, but, but be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed. That exhortation to let your gentleness be evident to all. I think coming out of COVID, the temptation will be, what's wrong with you people? Come on, we've all been vaccinated. Let's get back to it. Stop being so silly. That will be the tendency. Now, we never do it like that, but I think we've got to be transparently gentle, thoughtful, still task. We still got to be on our task, but we want to recognize that we're working with people for, soon, for whom some COVID has meant bereavement and grief, loss of income, a, a, a sense of isolation, a sense of feeling useless. We'll need to be people who breathe encouragement into our teams. I'll leave it there. Thanks very much. Um, uh, we're going to move into um, questions. So, Phil, where are we at in questions? If you've got questions that you haven't asked them, please do send them to Phil, whether for me or for uh, Ray. Uh, thanks, John. Let's start with one for you, Ray, if I may. Uh, this is a really uh, good question, and I, I, I just think it's a really helpful one for us all to be thinking through. Uh, Ray, how do we gently move people out of voluntary ministries that they have long served in but perhaps are not gifted for yeah oh do you know what when you're a young minister you, you think your problem is getting people to volunteer but you don't have to be long in it to realize that's not the problem the problem is how you stop people yeah i mean well that's where look it's it's hard i mean if someone is doing something sinful you have to confront it but if it's someone a bit like me getting past my sell-by date. You know, how do we nudge people out? Well, that's where that care plan is brilliant. If you build that in as part of your culture, you're constantly thinking, okay, clarify mission, agree on goals, but also review and equip. And if the team reviews, so it's not the leader reviewing people's progress, the team together saying, come on, how are we doing? Uh, it, 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 it's hard to hear, but if you build in review, so it's not personal get at you time. If you constantly build that, if that's normal, it becomes normal to say, oh, I don't think that's working too well. And then under E is, do we need more people on the team? Is it time maybe for some of us to recognize that others need to come on so that we might need to create space for them? 
if that's part of the language, it becomes normal to say people don't serve for life in this particular day. They serve Jesus for life, but they don't serve the youth ministry for life or they don't serve in the creche for life. Um, and I think once you build that in as part of what you do uh, serving in this church, it, you get permission for people to stop as well as permission for people to start. Now, I, I found actually quite a lot of people say, oh, do you know, I felt so guilty about stopping. I think that's one of the big problems. You know, who else is going to, they fear that they've got to solve their gap. If you like, I've, I can't leave until I find someone to do my gap. But if you bring it into the team and the team discuss it on a regular basis, it's easier for people then to feel they've got permission to stop. And it's easier for people to be brought in and say, isn't it great to bring in some new blood, you know, and some of us will perhaps have to step a little bit sideways. That might be one way, but it is hard. It's a culture thing rather than a particular, right, go and sort it out today thing. Thanks, Ray. That's really helpful. Thank you very much. It is great to see you. Um, next week, we'll be back again. And as I said, we're going to be thinking about the whole area of how do we support families and children in this crisis. Um, uh, as we know, there's immense pressure on families, those who are homeschooling and balancing everything else. There's lots of evidence of increasing mental health issues, particularly amongst young people. We're not going to be suggesting there's some silver bullet that will solve the problem. It's a very difficult situation, but sort of some principles and some practices that you might find helpful for supporting uh, families through this time. Um, uh, please do uh, keep getting in touch with us at the FIEC office. If you've got particular questions you want our counsel or advice, please do get in touch with us. And if we can, we'd be pleased to arrange to speak to you individually. Um, our website is continually updated with latest information on coronavirus. Um, uh, if uh, there's any other way that we, or, uh, we can serve you, uh, we'd love to know. Let me pray as we finish this time together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this um, time we've been able to spend. Thank you so much for the wisdom that you've given Ray. Thank you for the help that it's been to think about the way we lead our churches, the way we lead our teams. Thank you for identifying some of the challenges we may not even have thought about. Lord, as we reflect on what we have heard, please would you help us to know what we need to implement in our own lives, in our own ministries, in our own churches. Most of all, Lord, we long and pray that um, our churches would be um, uh, sort, of, uh, sort of clear about what their goal and their mission is. Thank you for that idea that we are working as your people, as a team to get people to heaven. We do want to pray that that would be what we are seeing in our churches and in their ministries. We would long and pray that we would be seeing more and more people come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Please give us um, a sort of wisdom as we navigate the challenges of lockdown. We're conscious, Father, of the um, uh, sort of frustrations that many people feel and yet also of the need to uh, sort of bring the virus under control. Please help us to continue to persevere. And we ask this um, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the FIC podcast. For more resources for church leaders, subscribe to this podcast on your favourite podcast app and visit our website at fiec.org.uk.